Hello, everyone. Welcome aboard the Disneyland monorail. Welcome to the Diz Explorers podcast. This week we are episode number 26 and we've almost got a full crew. We've got one more member tonight. <laughs> Crystal is finally not running, even though she should be running since she just informed us that she signed up for about three more marathons before her regular, before the Disney World marathon in January. <laughs> so from now on, we're just going to talk to her in the morning time when she's running and and awake and then i'm just gonna edit her in after because we we keep her awake every monday night <laughs> yeah that may work better <laughs> <laughs> so this week we're doing a, a cool thing which is we're gonna do some a q a type thing with jessica since she is the duchess of disneyland i'm wearing my tiara awesome <laughs> and so we're going to give her a bunch of questions um, about Disneyland, uh, whether it be tips, uh, tricks, favorite things, things to avoid, ways to go about going there for the first time or whatever it is, um, which is really cool because some of some of us have been out there and some of us have not, which I believe just Adrian and I are the only ones who have not been to Disneyland. So nope, I have not either. Oh, you have not. Oh, I thought you were. OK. All right. So cool. So we're half and half. That's very good. So anyway, so we're going to get started tonight, and we're going to get started with Crystal. So fire away. All right. Well, we are planning our um, second Disney trip coming up in January of 2017. So we made our first trip back in February. So I was going to reach out to Jessica, our uh, Disneyland expert, to help with some of the questions I had. So my first one is, how many days in advance can you book reservations at Disneyland? So are you talking about dining reservations? Dinings and yeah, dining reservations in particular. So you can't book them more than 60 days ahead of time. So you have to kind of wait until you're you're fairly close, which I know is a little jarring for people that are used to visiting Disney World. I I'll give you an example. I'm going to the park on Thursday and I didn't make dining reservations till last night. So generally through most of the year, especially if you're going in January, you don't have to be super, super type A plan in advance, but I'd recommend about a month out to make sure that you get the restaurant that you want. If you don't really care what restaurant you go to, you can wait till the week before. Wow. Okay, awesome. Um, and then we were considering, uh, last time we were there, they had all these super cute little cafes along Main Street. Mm -hmm. Is it just one restaurant or are there multiple restaurants and which ones would you recommend so that we could have a meal along Main Street? Sure. So there are three restaurants on Main Street. Two are quick service and one is table service. Carnation Cafe is the one that's table service and it's about halfway down the street. It's got a really cute outdoor patio and then an indoor dining room. 
And if you're really lucky and you get to sit on the patio, it's great. It's beautiful. You can kind of people watch as people go by, but the dining room is kind of dark and small and I'm not crazy about it. So unless you're really gung-ho about eating on Main Street or having like a sit-down table service meal, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But the two quick service places are really good. They're called Jolly Holiday Bakery Cafe and the Plaza Inn. And they're both on the either side of the front main circle, the hub in front of the castle. They kind of flank either side. They're both quick service. They both have comfort food. Jolly Holiday is more of a bakery, but they've got sandwiches and soups. And then Plaza Inn is more full, like heavy chicken and bigger meals like that. And they both have semi-enclosed patios that overlook the castle and the hub. And I always go to Jolly Holiday during the Halloween party because I like to sit there and people watch with all the costumes and stuff. So if you want to kind of just take it easy on Main Street, that's probably my my number one pick. But both of those are really good. Oh, nice. That's great advice. Is the Plaza, do they have character dining? Yes, they do. Okay. Is it just for select meals? Is it like lunch and dinner only or is it throughout the entire day? I'm trying to remember. Let me look really quickly because I I went to book a character meal and I'm trying to remember if it was like breakfast or if it was lunch. So let me look super quickly here. Yeah, we ended up going there last time and we loved it. We had such a great time and the character interactions at Disneyland are so much more interactive than they are at Disney World. They really spend a lot more time with you and it seems like they're less scripted. Um, oh, at Disneyland okay. versus Disney World, where it's like you have your five seconds at the table and then they move right along or you have to go to a certain location, queue up for the characters and then kind of wait your turn. Well, that's too it, bad. Yeah. At Disneyland, we ended up having like an impromptu tea party with Alice and the Mad Hatter and it was amazing. Yeah. So it's breakfast. The It's a character buffet breakfast at Plaza Inn. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And then one of the other questions I had for you was... Just any other dining reservation. So it seems like Steakhouse 55 is like the flagship restaurant. Is that is that the best restaurant that you would that you would recommend, or is that just the most expensive? I would I think that the top two and they're the most popular, the most expensive, kind of like the two most coveted are Steakhouse 55 and Carthy Circle Restaurant in Buena Vista Street in um, California Adventure. Carthy Circle is my favorite restaurant personally. Um, They're both really expensive, but I just think that when you're eating in the park and you're in a a restaurant that's designed like a theater, there's murals of Snow White everywhere, which is what Carthy Circle is. It's just a little more magical when Steakhouse 55 is in the Disneyland Hotel. So it's more of a question of if you want to eat kind of on the downtown Disney hotel experience or if you want to be in the park for your like fancy meal. But they're both really good. That's a great point. Yeah, we hadn't really thought about it much. Is, is Steakhouse 55 just like fillets, just straight they steak? Have a, they have a couple of other options, but that's what it's it's famous for being like the super fancy expensive steakhouse with like extravagant desserts. That's kind of what they're known for. Mm, that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> How is it um, in comparison to Blue Bayou? Is that is Blue Bayou on the same scale or is, is Steakhouse 55 and Carthay Circle like a notch above? So I have... A confession, I've never eaten at the Blue Bayou. I have a reservation on Thursday, so I will be remedying this. But what I can say from my friends that have gone is that 
it's it's expensive, but it's more of a casual, like it's just a cool environment because you're inside Pirates of the Caribbean, but it's not like the fancy fine dining necessarily that you feel like you experience at Steakhouse 55 or Carthy Circle. It is one of the more high-end like signature dining restaurants, but if I had to rank them, I'd say Carthy Circle and Steakhouse 55 are like the very top and then Blue Bayou would be like one notch below. Okay, nice. Yeah, we tried Blue Bayou last time we were there and we loved it. Um, yeah, I'm really so, excited to go. <laughs> I mean, both the atmosphere and the food were were just incredible. I mean, the atmosphere alone, I feel like, you know, typically if you had that good of an atmosphere at Walt Disney World, maybe the food wouldn't be as spectacular and both were, were pretty incredible when we were there. Yeah. So I'm excited to go to that one again. And then another question for you is in regards to the fireworks. So... Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips on like best viewing location for the the nighttime parade as well as the fireworks? And we do have a stroller. So, you know, our little one might be asleep, but we are going to have to drag that stroller throughout the park as well as escape the crowds afterwards. So do you have any recommendations on good spots? Yes. So if you want to watch the parade and then the fireworks, my recommendation would be to go toward the train station on Main Street USA on the end opposite the castle. There's where the flagpole is, there's a center garden and any of the the curb around there or even in the garden itself, it's a pretty good spot because you're kind of dead center toward the castle, but it's not as congested as right up in the hub. So it's a little bit easier. You can stretch out a little, have the stroller there. There's a little more space. Um, I personally, I like to sit and watch the fireworks, but I don't care as much for the parade. And I also don't really feel that strongly about seeing the projections on the castle just because I'd rather be where there's less people. So if that's the case and you just want to see the fireworks in the sky, I have two suggestions of places to go. One is in Frontierland in the Rancho del Zocalo kind of picnic area. There's a whole bunch of benches, there's tables, it's outside. You can see 90% of the fireworks and there's nobody around. It's awesome. And then on the other side in Tomorrowland, if you go to Tomorrowland Terrace, there's kind of a raised seating area that's under a roof. And then there's a lower seating area next to the Autopia entrance. And if you sit at those tables, you get a really good view of the fireworks. You can hear the music and everything, but there's less people. And that's actually where I, I periscoped um, the Halloween screams from there. And it was a pretty clear shot. So those are the two places I like to go to watch the fireworks. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll have to check one of those out. Um, so just like two other questions for you. So we love Trader Sam's here at the Polynesian. And I was just curious, have you checked out Trader Sam's? And is it somewhere that we could take kids if it was early and we we're looking to have one drink and then head out? Yeah, absolutely. There's a whole big, there's a deck with a bunch of tables and couches, or there's a lower area with a fire pit and really, really cushy chairs. And if you go in the daytime, like before five o'clock, um, there's always families out there with kids just hanging out. They serve appetizers. So if the kids are hungry, you can get them something to eat and it's super casual. I don't know what the rules are in terms of letting them in the actual tiki bar part, but there's always families in, in the outside patios and lounge areas. So that shouldn't be a problem. Okay. Cause I know like Disney world, they, they close at seven o'clock to children. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can sit outside in the patio too. But that place is so cool. I'm I'm excited to actually hit the Disneyland version because we didn't get a chance to go there last time. And I feel like that's the original. Yeah. So I'm very, very excited to go check that out. 
It's really um, small. You might be surprised by how small it is, but it's very cool and I love it. Nice. And then are there any additional like special events that we have to do? Like Club Villain is, is actively going on here at Disney World. Are there any you know special shows or events that we should take our son to? He'll be three um, or anything that's just worth checking out while we're there. Sure. So the show that I would recommend for anyone is Mickey and the Magical Map. If you didn't see that last time, it's my favorite Disney show like ever. And it's just, it's so cool. And no matter where you sit, you have a great view. And if you're toward the front, sometimes the performers will wave and smile at you and, and they shoot confetti at the end. And it's just really awesome. Um, and then over in California Adventure, if you go into the Redwood Creek Challenge Trail, little kids can get a map and they can find different animal tracks or, or paw prints or stuff like that. And then they can basically earn, I don't remember what they call it, if it's like a, an explorer stamp or something, but you, you basically get to be like Russell from Up and you can... Um, awesome. Yeah, you can go around and find stuff and kids get so excited. And in there they've got a zip line and they've got this cave of wonder, I think it's called, where you can find out what your spirit animal is and they've got tree houses. And so I think he would love that. Yeah, that sounds like something that he would really, really enjoy. And then yeah. my last one is just um, sweet treats. So are there any um, sweet treats that you would recommend us sampling while we're there that maybe they don't have at Disney World? Yes, my favorite dessert right now that I don't think they have in Disney World is at the Hungry Bear restaurant in Critter Country, and it is a churro funnel cake. And of what? course, I, I would say to anybody that is going to Disneyland to just eat as many churros as you can, because from what I understand, they're really hard to find in Disney World. Um, <laughs> they are. Yes, they yeah. are. <laughs> There's only a few Dino spots. Bites. And Frontierland yeah, by the Turkey Lake Cart. It bums me out so much because that's like my, I eat those all day long in Disneyland. So <laughs> try the churro funnel cake and you will not be disappointed. Awesome. Well, I thank you for answering my all my questions. I know there's a, a, a few more out there, but that's my list. And thank you again yeah. for the advice. I will definitely follow up and let you know how all of those turned out for us. Good. I, I hope that that's good advice and I don't steer you wrong. <laughs> all sounded good to me. And just... Just to add on to the, not the Disneyland end, but what you said about those little like wilderness trails where you're kind of like Russell, they do do that at the Animal Kingdom as well, uh, where you can. Oh, they do. Yeah, right when you come over the the bridge when you're heading towards the uh, Tree of Life on the right, there's a little booth and it's you can become a wilderness explorer. I believe they give you a little pamphlet, and you have to do like the little oath that they do in the movie to participate in it. And they give you a guide with like a stickers, kind of like what they do in World Showcase for the Easter egg hunt and Remy's hide and squeak and stuff like that. And you go around the park and I believe, and, and you can collect stickers when you've seen different animals. And I think there's different, st these might actually be different stations where there is cast members and they put a little stamp in your book and you get a little prize or something along those lines. But yeah, it's definitely seems, seems along the same lines, but no, yeah, no zip, like no zip lines and tree houses though. <laughs> oh, that's that sounds <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, and they have real redwood trees in there, and it's off of Grizzly Peak, which is one of the busiest areas because that's where Soarin' Over the World is. That's where the River Run Rapids ride is. But as soon as you step in that Challenge Trail, it's dead quiet. It's it's amazing. It's really cool. Nice. I'll ask a quick question. I remember last time I was here. It's been several years. My sister-in-law needed 
a double stroller. And when she went to rent them over at Disneyland Park, they did not have them. Are, is it still the case that it's singles only or? Yeah, that's still the case, unfortunately. <laughs> so it's singles only when renting strollers at Disneyland. That, that's a big deal because they don't recline. So at Walt Disney World, you would always get that double stroller mm-hmm. so that the kids could lay down inside of them. Or we'd have extra place to put a bag because those things do not have under carriage bucket baskets or any place to put a diaper bag. So yeah. we would get the double stroller at Walt Disney World. So it's still singles only at Disneyland. And the other thing to know at Disneyland is that your rented strollers can't go into downtown Disney. So you either need to drop them off or wait on renting them until you're done in downtown Disney and then you're going into the parks. You can take them back and forth between Disneyland and California Adventure as much as you want, but you can't bring them into downtown Disney. Okay. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That was my only question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I've got a few. I think they're more general questions and it's... Sure. Probably stuff that might have been covered before, or I'm sure has been covered before, but I would like your take on it, because I honestly don't know. I know in Walt Disney World we have a couple of behind-the-scenes tours that can be done at, in the Magic Kingdom and in all the parks, but I, the Magic Kingdom ones, are I know, are what most people enjoy doing, because the behind-the-scenes stuff down below in the Utilidors, and they do take you backstage and explain a bunch of stuff. Is there? Do they do similar things like that in Disneyland? Because I know there is no Utilidors and stuff like that there. Yeah, they have, they have tours that will take you around kind of behind the scenes, and then you go on two attractions, but they don't tell you which one's ahead of time, and then it ends in the Dream Suite, which is off-limits to guests. So you do get, like, behind the scenes on certain tours. Oh, cool. And they, mm-hmm. they, they like all day or half a day or a couple They're hours? They're four hours. Okay. All right. So that, that's about what – the one that my wife and I just recently did was about about a six-hour, five like, like five hours. Same thing. They brought you on a couple of attractions and you had lunch and then it, and then it ended. But they do do a more in-depth one at the Magic Kingdom that's like eight hours, they said. Mm-hmm. And now are, are children allowed on those or is there an age – I don't. I don't know of an, an age restriction. Um, let me check. It's because when I when I did it, it was all adults in my group. So I'm wondering if that was right. A limit it's it's 16 and older in the Magic Kingdom. Okay. For any check. of their any of their stuff. It's called Walk in Walt's Footsteps. Oh, okay. Yes, I have I have heard the name of it. Yeah. Have you ever done it? Yes, I did, and it was ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> it was the coolest thing ever, because. They kind of, they sort of explain things to you as if you're from his perspective. So they were saying like, this is where he liked to do this and this is what he did here. And so it was just really cool. And it says guests under 16 must be accompanied by a registered adult. So you can go if you're, if you're under 16. Okay. And then the next thing is, which I, I guess this is partial to who you're talking to, but I, I, I feel you can generalize it for me, or for the listeners as well. Having been to both parks and seeing the differences between attractions and and shows and fireworks and stuff like that, I guess it'd be better. Let me paint like a scenario. So if you were if you were going out to California and say you had you had two days, and you okay. weren't necessarily worried about California Adventure, say for some reason, so you just wanted to focus on Disneyland, being 
that the original park and gaining everything you can from there. Okay. What would be the absolute must-do things you, you had to see? Like if you went out there and left and told people you went to Disneyland and someone said, oh, did you do this? Did you do this? If you said no, you'd be, you know, <laughs> crucified. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I guess I would say there there are two areas that I think you'd want to focus on, which would be New Orleans Square and Fantasyland. New Orleans Square, because it doesn't exist in Disney World, but also because it has two rides that are in Disney World, but they're quite different. And those are the, the Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. And I just think that that area of the park, it always has, or not always, I should say, but usually has live jazz music and there's little crystal shops and there's a perfume shop and it's, it's very distinctive and it has a lot of personality. Um, and someone like me who goes to the park all the time, if I could pick just one land to hang out in, that's where I would go. So I think if you kind of want the Disneyland experience, that's probably the most important area to spend some time in. And then I also would say Fantasyland because it's extremely different than Disney World. There are, almost exclusively dark rides. It is a lot more kind of nostalgic and charming and it's less focused on really advanced animatronics and theatrical storytelling. And it's kind of just, it brings you back in time a lot more. So it's got Mr. Toad with the original hand painted scenery and there's Snow White Scary Adventures and Pinocchio. And it also has rides that don't exist in Disney World like the Matterhorn like the Storybook Land Canal Boats. And, of course, It's a Small World is outside, so you see the, the big white building sparkling in the sunshine. So <laughs> if I had to recommend two areas, that's that's what I would say. Ah, awesome. Yeah, I know. You're, the Fantasyland out there is is, is stacked. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland, yes. is, that's in Fantasyland as well? Yep. It's There's a section in Eastern Fantasyland where you have the Matterhorn, the, and the Storybook Land Canal Boats and then a hat shop, they kind of form this big circle. And in the middle of this circle is the Mad Tea Party and Alice. So Alice really has her own little section of Fantasyland all to herself. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I've heard amazing things about all those attractions. And Mr. Toad was probably hands down my favorite Walt Disney World classic dark ride that is obviously not no longer there anymore. But yeah, so I would I would really... Love to be able to ride that one again, definitely. All right, yeah, that's so, one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> so along the same lines, what would you, and I know this is hard, but painting the same scenario, instead of things that you must do, are there things that you would tell people it's not a mandatory thing to be able to, to have to see your first time out there? Yeah, this is hard for a lot of people to do, and it's easier to say than to follow, but... What I would say is don't obsess over getting on all of the big, huge rides like the roller coasters, because although they have slight differences, things like Splash Mountain, Space Mountain, Thunder Mountain, they're fundamentally the same. So if, if I were a first-time visitor to Disneyland, I would just focus on either the attractions that aren't in Disney World, where I can't have the same experience, or going on fewer rides in favor of checking out all the little shops and restaurants and spending time in each land or even going to places that like Toontown is, is predominantly for little kids. 
So if I were going to Disneyland without kids, my first inclination would be just to skip it altogether. But it doesn't exist in Disney World, and that is a distinctive land in that everything in there is meant to be touched. Everything has interactive gags. Stones on the ground play music. If you press the mailboxes, the characters will answer you and all that kind of stuff. So while you spend a lot of money to go on this vacation and it's really tempting to just run from coaster to coaster, I'm not saying don't go on them, but I'm saying don't make it your your sole mission of the day to get on every huge roller coaster and maybe go on the smaller rides that you might skip if you were in Disney World and you think, oh, I don't care about that. Right. Yeah, we used a bunch of the single rider lines when we were there, and it seemed like Disneyland had more available than Disney World. Is that correct? Yes. In dark rides don't have single rider lines. Those are really just for the, the big rides, but they are really fast and really efficient, and I make use of them all the time. And for a lot of attractions, the single rider line is faster than fast pass. The best example is Indiana Jones. I think that single rider can be faster than fast pass sometimes. I believe there's only three attractions at Walt Disney World that have it. I think it's just Everest, Roller Coaster, and Test Track. Uh, Rock and Roller Coaster and Test Track are the only ones that I can think of off the top of my head that offer single rider. None of the other mountains do in the Magic oh, Kingdom. Wow. So, which is strange if to me, but I guess to have a third queue to get people into, maybe that's the maybe that's the problem because since they're older, you know, the old the original test track didn't have a single rider. It only appeared when they redid it, so because they changed the the queue. So yeah, out of the the mountains, Splash Mountain and the Matterhorn are the two that have single rider line. Oh wow, and mm-hmm. and to be honest with with the mountain thing, I I agree with you because. None of them, except for the Matterhorn, were original Disneyland. Well, Splash might have been. I think Splash came to Disneyland before it came to Disney World. But Space Mountain was in Disney World first, and I believe Thunder as well, before they went to Disneyland. So, I mean, like you said, they may not be carbon copies, but they're pretty darn close. You know, unless unless you're out there for the Halloween overlay or you were able to catch the, the Star Wars thing they did forever which, you know, who knows if they're going to bring that back in in Disneyland, the hyperspace mountain. Mm -hmm. Essentially, that was just music and projections that made it different, right? Yeah, hyperspace mountain is back, and I think it's going to stay until Star Wars Land opens, and it's a little bit more than just different music because you're you're simulated that you're in a a chase with X-Wings and Y-Wings, so you actually see the ships and you kind of dodge them and you hear shooting, so it's a little bit more and it's it's really fun i really like it cool but it's okay. not enough i think to justify going on that versus a ride that's unique to the park or something like that so it would still be my advice to kind of i'm not saying don't do it but if you have to choose between that or something like indiana jones pick indiana jones oh definitely definitely agree with that all right and then uh, the only other thing i i had written down is being that Disneyland is considered more of a locals park instead of a tourists park mm-hmm. compared to Walt Disney World, is there a better time of year for, say, a first-time visitor to go where crowds may be a little less or it's not as heavy for locals? Or, yeah. or does it not much matter? Is it pretty even keel through the year besides holiday time? I think the best times to go are mid-January through early March, and then 
mid-September to early October, and then maybe late October to mid-November, because in the spring from like March to June is all like grad nights from local high schools, and it's just a zoo every single day. And then, of course, in the summer, every park is peak crowds. And then Christmas time is just utter chaos. And then the week, <laughs> the week of Halloween and the week of Thanksgiving are rough. But other than that, I would never say it's it's empty unless you're there on a Tuesday in February when it's pouring. There's always <laughs> right. going to be a lot of people. But yeah. I would recommend winter and fall as as the better times to go, excluding Christmas. Right. So that's basically the same as as it is here. Even though yeah. even though here it's it's trending to. There's not that many downtimes. I mean, when we went in September, my wife and I, it was definitely, it was definitely nice. It wasn't a zoo. There, they had the food and wine festival going on, but that was just pretty much an Epcot. Uh -huh. It definitely wasn't as dead as I remember being, say, four years prior when we were there in October with kids and everything else, where it was some not a ghost town, but by Disney standards, it was you know the park levels was maybe a three out of ten during the day, so you kind of had your run a mill of the place. Yeah, I think that's true of Disneyland, too. I think in general, it's just getting increasingly crowded. Yeah, just, you know, well, that's what they want. They don't want, they don't need, they don't like an empty park. Just, just the, yeah. uh, just the wackos like us who, who like to frequent there, you know, but the, the audience, the people that they're, they're gauging towards, which is, you know, come every two to three years or every five years and stay for two weeks that you know they're not worried about the everyday people <laughs> right <laughs> so, which sad i guess but that's a whole other topic <laughs> so those are basically what what i had oh i have one more and i swear i'm not going to sign up for another run disney event but <laughs> what have you heard about the run disney events at disneyland i swear i'm, I'm officially tapped out <laughs> So I'm not a runner, but my roommate is, and she just did the Disneyland half um, a couple months ago. And she said that she did not really like it only because it's so crowded and you go into the into Disneyland and California Adventure so early in the race that you don't even realize you're in the park and you're just like trying not to get elbowed by people. And she said it wasn't really until she was leaving each park that she was kind of like, oh yeah, I'm in Disneyland right now. So... She said if you're a runner, it's fine, but she wouldn't recommend like signing up for that race purely on the basis that you're running through Disneyland because it's so congested that it's not necessarily super awesome. Okay, yeah, that's that's pretty similar across all Disney races. It's it's gotta get your elbows out and yeah. <laughs> hold your ground a little bit because they are very very busy. But no more races for me for a little while. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to make you write that down because I don't believe you. <laughs> I know, my husband as well. He's like, oh, geez. Uh, how about you, Milford? So you were talking about grad nights in March. That has me a little concerned now since, you know, we're going to uh, Hawaii in March and we'll be coming back to Disneyland about March 17th. You'll be so fine. They don't start that early, huh? They don't start that early. It's it's sometimes maybe like the last week in March, but it's usually April, May. So I think you'll be fine. So on that same topic, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, of course, do they do anything special at Disneyland or California Adventure for St. Patrick's Day? They'll have themed pastries. They'll have like cupcakes and stuff, but... Last year, they didn't do anything in terms of any special parties or parades or anything like that. 
the Dapper Dan's will be in green, and Mickey might have on kind of like a, a leprechaun costume, but they don't do a uh, whole lot. Okay, cool. One of my questions is, what restaurant should I not miss at Disneyland or California Adventure or even the hotels? Ooh, okay. Well, um, like I said, I think my absolute favorite restaurant is Carthy Circle. They really go out of their way to make you feel like a VIP when you're there, which is always fun. It is definitely expensive, though, so if you are looking for a cheaper sit-down meal, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I, if you want to do like a dining package, I really like um, the Riverbell Terrace for Fantasmic. However, I'm not sure Fantasmic will be reopened in March when you go. That's still a tentative date. But if it is open, do the Riverbell Terrace dining package because the other dining packages are either ridiculously overpriced or like the Aladdin one has a terrible view, an obstructed view of the show. And if you do the Riverbell, Riverbell Terrace one, that's hard to say, um, <laughs> you, you get to sit right in the front on the water. So that's definitely a big thumbs up. In terms of quick service meals, one of my favorite places to go is Boardwalk Pizza and Pasta in California Adventure. They have live music a lot. There's a huge patio. It's right next to the, the big beer stand, and it's just a really fun place to hang out. Another great place to go that's harder to get into is the Cove Bar in Paradise Pier. It has appetizers and just a ton of drinks, and it overlooks the water. It kind of extends out onto the water but there's usually a line to get in and they don't take reservations. So if you're willing to wait, that's a great place to go to. In downtown Disney, Catal is really good. It's it's a, an elevated restaurant with a patio that overlooks the middle of downtown Disney. So it's a great place to people watch. The food's pretty good and it's it's not outrageously expensive. So that's another place that I really like to go to. How about the hotels? The hotels, Steakhouse 55 is always cool, but it is on the more expensive end. If you want a character dining experience, Goofy's Kitchen is really fun, and they always have a ton of characters, and they're they're big huggers, so if you want to hug a character, that's the place to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then for breakfast, Storytellers Cafe in the Grand Californian is pretty decent, but they don't have, it's a character buffet too, but they don't have as many characters they have chip and dale and more of like the the animal characters instead of like princesses mm. or peter pan or something like that okay cool along that same line what attraction should i not miss i mean i know we kind of talked about with rj what what things mm. you would not you know along mm. that same line yeah so i would say indiana jones would be number one Number two, I would say the Storybook Land Canal Boats, just because I think it's a really unique ride and it's really cool. Um, um, let's see, what else would I recommend? Um, I think that if you're interested in kind of doing the comparison game, that Pirates of the Caribbean is pretty cool because I think that it has a distinctive beginning that Disney World doesn't have. There's a drop in the dark and you start by going through the bayou, so that's kind of cool. Um, and then the Matterhorn, too. But I will say the Matterhorn is very jerky, so if you bruise easily or you don't want to be thrown around, I would not recommend the Matterhorn because it is very rough. <laughs> I've, I've heard that hey. on numerous accounts. Yeah. 
they added <laughs> padding to the seats last year and it did not help that much. Yeah. It, it really, it's fun, but honestly, it's so rough. It's really jerky. <laughs> so it's not, it's not one of those you're getting running right back in line for if, if it's, if it's short, like big thunder mountain. <laughs> Yeah, you got to take a breather. And then <laughs> California Adventure, um, the rides I'd say you can't miss are Radiator Springs Racers um, and California Screamin'. And then the other one that people always think is weird that I recommend, but the Silly Symphony Swings on Paradise Pier, just because they're really cool. So <laughs> those oh, are they're really cool. That. <laughs> <laughs> and then are there perks? So I, I guess... I'm not familiar with how the hotels are laid out. I was actually looking at the Disneyland map today, trying to figure out. It, we're going to be staying at the Grand Californian. So, are there perks for people staying in the Disney hotels? Or yes. Okay. So you get you're extra lucky that you're in the Grand Californian because you get a private entrance to California Adventure that is only usable by Grand Californian guests, um, and it leads you right into Grizzly Peak. So you'll be spitting distance from Soarin' Over the World and Paradise Pier, basically, which is awesome. Um, there's also an observation deck somewhere in the Grand Californian that you can watch World of Color from. I have never done that myself, but if you ask the front desk, they'll tell you where to go. And then the other thing you get is Magic Morning, which is an extra hour in the parks before they open. And it alternates every day between Disneyland and California Adventure, but they'll tell you when you check in which day is which park and what time. Um, but you get to go in an hour ahead if you're in a hotel. That's cool. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything at any of the hotels that I should make sure I go see? I, I know there. I've seen some pretty unique pictures of the Disneyland Hotel and Cal Grand California and you yeah, know, they, is there things to see in those hotels that would be of interest? Sure. The Disneyland Hotel, the grounds are just beautiful. I like to, to walk around there. That's where Trader Sam's is. They've got all kinds of waterfalls. The pool has a really cool old marquee sign that says Disneyland on it. So that's kind of just more if you want to check out the scenery. And then the Grand Californian, the lobby is amazing. It's got this humongous stone fireplace. They usually have a live piano player. They, they show old cartoons on one of the little screens sometimes, and there's a bunch of bars in there. So if you want to just kind of have a drink and relax, that's the best place to do it. And that was going to be my next question. Where's the best bar on property? Oh, okay. In the hotels, it's the Hearthstone Lounge, I think it's called, in the Grand, whatever the Grand Californian's downstairs bar is. In downtown Disney, it's probably the Yuva bar, which is, it's an outdoor big circle bar that overlooks all kinds of stuff. Trader Sam's is like a different level for me. I don't even count it because it wins no, by default, but that's obviously awesome. And then in California Adventure, because you can buy booze in California Adventure, I would say it's either the Cove bar or the terraces in Pacific Wharf. There's Sonoma Terrace, Alfresco Terrace, Mendocino Terrace, and they're all just wine terraces that also serve meat and cheese plates and they overlook the bay and they're just pretty really cool okay cool mm -hmm. i think that's all i had <laughs> i've got one more that i thought of as well it had to do with the live entertainment such as shows 
I know there's the Dapper Dans and there's tons of live music in the different lands, but is there like stage shows at all similar to like, you know, we, we got Beauty and the Beast out here and, and the Nemo musical. And I know, is, is, do they have a, I know the nighttime parades are shuffling all over the place. Is there a daytime parade or some sort of castle uh, show or some sort of entertainment that's a daily thing or not as much? Yeah. So they don't have a, a stage in front of Disneyland's castle, so they don't have any any castle shows. But there is a day parade called Mickey's Sensational Parade, which stopped for a while during the Diamond Jubilee, but I think it might have started back up again. But there are a bunch of um, stage shows. There's in the Golden Horseshoe, which is in Frontierland. There's a periodic show called the Golden Horseshoe Review. Oh, wow. Which is kind of like, yeah, they still do that. It's really cool. But most of them are in California Adventure. In There's Mickey and the Magical Map in Fantasyland, like I said. And then in Tomorrowland, they do this thing called the Jedi Training Academy, which I think they do in Hollywood Studios in Disney World. It's where the little kids can fight Darth Vader and they become yes. Jedi. Yeah. Yep. But the big stage shows are in California Adventure in Hollywoodland. There is Frozen Live at the Hyperion Theater. And then there is also Disney Junior Live which is kind of a combination of a puppet show and like a, a dance show for little for little kids with all the characters from Disney Junior. Yeah, they do that in the studios too. Here. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's been rotating depending on whatever's popular at the time. I think the only thing that has stayed has been the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse characters, but I think now it's that and Jake and the Neverland Pirates and Sophia mm-hmm. and I forget yep. what the other one is. I have I only went and saw it once with my kids when they were younger and I've not been back since. <laughs> and there's so. also a lot of periodic street entertainment. So the red car trolleys on Buena Vista Street, the trolley boys will come out and sing and dance. There's a jazz group called the Five and Dime that will come out and dance. And then the bands all over the park will just stop and put on mini shows and then keep walking around. But those are much harder to predict. So if you want to see live entertainment, it's better to plan on, I'm going to see this show at this time, because you never know when the bands are going to show up. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's about all I have. I think that will wrap up this episode as far as for cool. Q&A stuff. So thank you, Jessica. That was very informative. I enjoyed hearing about all of that stuff. Sometimes it's nicer to hear somebody talking about it than always reading it on on either social media sites or or going by word of mouth, you know, somebody who experiences it and <laughs> knows what they're talking <laughs> knows what they're talking about, you know, firsthand experience definitely goes a long way. So, cool. All right, excellent. So, we will thank you all for listening for this episode. You can find us all over at the uh, disexplorers.com where you can get in touch with us there. You can send us an email through that site. If you have any questions or comments, you can check out all our all the troopers social media accounts and get in touch with us either through that website or on all of us are everywhere in some form or fashion. So you can definitely get a hold of us and we love to hear back from everybody. And we thank you for listening and we will talk to everybody next time. Mm-hmm.